Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. Now, if you receive up Dan and Gwen, I appreciate that. Come on, give them a big God bless you. Thank you, band. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, we can use the same one. And, uh, oh, we have two ready? Let's go for it. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is my beautiful bride. Dan, I feel led. I feel led that we're supposed to pray for you too right now that you would rest in the next week. I just, I don't want to interrupt your message, but will you stretch a hand? They're about to go and uh, not really vacation because I don't know that Dan absolutely knows how to do that. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a supernatural rest upon them. That you. Father, a supernatural rest upon them. I just see you doing nothing. I don't like, I like, I feel like I just see you like in a strange place and like, I don't know what to do now. Beautiful. I'm just sitting here. I just see you reclining in a chair, just being present in the moment of peace. Not even in, not even in intercession, just present. And so father over, over Dan and Gwen, just rest and that you would protect their travels in the next year, Lord, that you would guide that, 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 um, you would enable them to steward their travel time very well. Lord, and they would go where the most investment is needed with the best fruit. In Jesus' name. Everybody say Thank you. Excuse me for interrupting you. I just really felt we were late to do that. Thank you. That was a good prayer. And I will be watching him to see if he will lay and do nothing. <laughs> it's his mind that he has a hard time to do nothing. His mind is always going somewhere. You know, it's really been a joy to be here. And... I'm not sure what exactly to share with you. I, just a few things are burning on my heart these days. And, you know, the holiness of God. And I plan on studying that out in the next few weeks. You know, Carol has had a vision, Carol Arnett, of the next move of God is the holiness. His holiness is going to come. And I don't know if we fully understand his holiness. You know, there's a beauty to his holiness but there's a, an awesomeness and a fear that we need to get into our hearts and into our lives about his holiness. But, you know, there's another message that's burning in my heart. In Revelation 3.18, I can't share much about holiness because I've got to really search into that and really someday. Um, in Revelation 13, this is another message I'm going to be, I am starting to develop it says in Revelation 13, I counsel you to buy from 318. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. We're told to go buy gold refined in the fire. You know, fire's hot. And they make that fire very hot to refine that gold. And it has to be refined and fired over and over, and it gets hotter and hotter. And you know, what is this gold that we're to go buy? Have you ever thought about that? What is that? Gold is our purified faith. How do we get purified faith? 
1 Peter 1.7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith that is tested by fire. Number two, gold is refined character. In uh, Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has trusted me, I shall come forth as gold. Hallelujah. Gold is Christ-likeness. But you know, gold is bought. It's not something we earn. Yeah. It's not something that's imparted. It's not something you can come to a meeting and just say, oh, I'd like some of this purified gold, God. It's not something that you get by laying on of hands. Yeah. It's bought. It's purchased at a price. We have to pay a price for this gold. And the price is going through the fire. It's bought in the fire. We can't stand there and watch the fire burn. You have to be in the fire to purchase the gold. And it's attained only as we persevere and go through the fiery trials that come our way. And you know, it's hard to go through the fire. And you know, sometimes they're little fires, sometimes they're big fires, and you know, most times we want to run away from the fire. But you know, when you're going through the fire, this, these are verses to remind you, you're buying gold. You're buying Christ-likeness. And it's only as we go through the fire that we're going to purchase this. So let's not run Amen. from the trials and the hard times. Amen. Let's find God in the midst of the fire. And even when you don't feel him, there's times you're in the fire and you're going through trials and you feel like God has forgotten you. But even in that midst, say, God, no matter what, I believe in you and I trust you. And hang on to that little thread you have in the fire. And go through it and let him do what he wants to do in your heart and let him bring up all that gunk. You know, there's times you go through stuff and you think, where did that come from? When we moved to Ukraine, I, you know, there's times I just wanted, I'd be so frustrated with the cultural stuff and the people. And one time we wanted just a little book to pay our gas bills. This was a cheap little book, but we couldn't get it. We go to this line, our worker would go to that line. She would, she spent hours trying to get at this book. All we wanted to do was to pay our gas bill, but we had to have this paper the, to pay it with. And you know, there's, I thought, I just want to punch somebody. <laughs> like, I thought, this is so silly. We actually want to pay you money and we can't even get this book. And you know, the stuff would come up, up at me and I think, where did that come from? Yeah. It's like, I thought I was a pretty good Christian. And, you know, I realized that a lot of my Christianity was being surrounded by the comforts of an affluent lifestyle. And when I got out of those comforts, all of a sudden, this junk started coming up. And, you know, God will take us out of our comfort zone. And he will let you go through places and go through situations that you think, where did that come from? But let it happen and just bring it before God. Say, God, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't know that was there. But he is purifying us when that happens. And just be honest. Ah. 
and open before him and others and say, this is in me. Help. You know, I confess. And just let yourself be purified so you become Christ-like and your faith is strengthened. Thank you, dear. Wow. Okay, we can say amen and I'll go home and beat the Pentecostals to Denny's. This would be great. <laughs> that was a great word. And uh, I thank you for asking her to, to, to preach because she's actually an incredible preacher. And she's a very deep woman. She's a very righteous woman. She keeps me on the straight and narrow. So, yes. Um, anyways, great to be here this weekend. How many were not in any of the meetings over the weekend from Friday to Saturday? This is like your first time. Okay, wonderful. Well, we, we uh, have been on the theme of incarnate or the incarnation. And uh, just because of the time where we're at right now, I want to get right into the word, if that's okay. And uh, just to kind of, I want to continue with teaching. Uh, and I, I, I started this, this morning, the first service, just kind of reviewing uh, the incarnation. Uh, but I want to take a bit of a different direction on it here at the second service. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, just very quickly, again, for those who have not been here, we've been discussing the incarnation, and what we, we looked at was the, the connections, the encounters that the living God had with humanity before Bethlehem, before Nazareth, when uh, the angel appeared to, to, to Mary. And it's a, it's a fascinating study that God had lunch with Abraham in Genesis 18. And it's like, what? How did that work out? Well, just for the sake of time, we just can't get into it all. And there was it's a fascinating study that there was a person in the bush that Moses talked to. And that person said, I am. So it wasn't just this vague metaphor bush. There was actually a person. And Jesus later on came and said, you know, I'm, I, I'm the one. I'm the I am. I'm that guy. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet says, so heaven opened and uh, the king there in heaven and his train filled the temple and even the cherubim, the seraphim could not look at this holy one. And uh, he, Isaiah started a conversation with him. And then in John chapter 12, verse 41, it says that actually it was Jesus that was communicating to Isaiah before he, that is the king, became a baby in ah. Bethlehem. And, uh, and so it's fascinating to go all through the scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 1 as well. There's a man in the glory. We mentioned that the Jewish people, many Jewish rabbis, prohibit uh, the study of Ezekiel 1 just on your own because you might see the man and you need someone with you to talk you out of that that man could be Jesus. And so they actually prohibit uh, the study of Ezekiel chapter 1 just on your own. And so what, what we saw in all that regarding the incarnation is this, the greatness of the eternal God. And the greatness of the eternal Son. The Son being the eternal Son. Not becoming the Son in Bethlehem. 
not becoming a son in Nazareth. He always was the son. Psalm 2, today you are my son, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Psalm 110, Yahweh said to Adonai, I want you to rule, and I'm going to make the nations your footstool. That's a conversation that we're allowed to peek in on and listen in on on the eternal father communicating with the eternal son and having uh, the, the plans being conversed about and then unfolded on the earth in the incarnation when finally that eternal son became flesh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so there's a number of practical applications to incarnation. The incarnation is, an, is a fascinating theological truth that we have to battle for all the time. Um, but that has some real practical applications. And that's what we want to do at this second service. In, in Philippians chapter 2, we want to start talking about this, these practical implications of, of this in, incarnation. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, obviously, there's a theme here. It's unity. Yeah. It's oneness, yeah. one mind, one heart, one accord, one spirit. And there's a key to unity. The key to unity is start to talk about in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Huh. So conceit or pride, yeah. whether it be in a marriage, whether it be on a team, whether it be in a business context, wherever it might be in a family, conceit and pride, are, are uh, they, they prohibit unity. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now we see, um, we're starting to get a taste of the incarnation in lowliness of mind. And so the concept of humility is being introduced here. In the, con in the conversation about unity, and again, apply it to any relationship you have. The thing that will break unity is pride, conceit, selfish ambition. Now put that in the context is that God wanted to be one with you and me. He wanted to be one with you and me. That's his, his, his goal. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's following through with offering unity, offering oneness, by introducing this understanding of the incarnation to the Philippians. This is exactly what he's going to talk about right now. That's the Apostle Paul under the spirit of revelation. In verse 6, he says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so here's the Lord Jesus is God. But he made a decision. 
In verse 7, it says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Everybody say humbled. So the incarnation is intrinsically linked to humility. Incarnation cannot be separated from humility. It was the humility of God that caused him to take on flesh. So our God is great. The Lord Jesus is great. He's of all authority. He's full of, he, he's, he's a king, but he is absolutely full of humility. What a divine tension there. Absolutely full of humility. And in his humility, he humbled himself and became obedient. Wow, that humility manifested in recognizing there was a father. Jesus later on said, the father is, is greater than I. That is, there's a recognition of his submission to the father. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has all also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So in his humility, as he walked through those steps of humility, what uh, the father prepared for him in his exaltation happened. Jesus, in his gospels, uh, it goes on to say, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I fell asleep during Greek and Hebrew class in Bible school. But I, I can read the books of the guys who stayed awake. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, <laughs> but what I know this is that tense, that, that verbs in Greek have an active tense or a passive tense. So let me just kind of point this out, if I, if I could, regarding humility and exaltation. If you, Jesus, if, if you humble yourself, that is an active tense. The word active, the, the, the concept of active means you have to do it. You this is your activity. You act actively humble yourself and then you'll be exalted. The word exalted is in the passive tense. That is, it is done to you. It is done to you. It will be. Okay, let's put it this way. It will be done to you. Your activity is to stay in humility. That's your activity. And then in a, in a passive way, God sets it up so that you are exalted, but you're in a passive state of being exalted, and it will be done to you. Are you with me there? But the same is true on the other side of it. He who exalts himself, 
So if you actively exalt yourself, that's also the Greek tense. Yeah, he knows where this is going. He's figured it out. If you actively exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Whether you like it or not, it's just it's going to happen to you. Are you with me? And so this is what happened to the Lord Jesus. He humbled himself. He actively, that's the tense there, he actively humbled himself in the incarnation. And then passively, the Father rose him from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father as a man. As a God-man. And so that works for every one of us. That's just the way life is. Welcome to life. It's really a good idea. If you want to advance in life to become a servant, if you want to advance in life, then you humble yourself. Arriba! Wow. This is humbling. <laughs> All right. Oh. Oh, my goodness. I had a great teaching coming here. All right. Hold on. It'll all make sense in heaven. All right. <laughs> all right. So that's just, that's, that was, that's the underlying humility of God when it comes to the incarnation. Now, one of the practical ways that we also walk out the spirit Spirit of the incarnation is by ministering to the poor. Now, let me qualify what I just said. There's, there's one primary, primary incarnation, God becoming man. That is the incarnation. The spirit of the incarnation is still in the church. That is, God wants the church to become incarnational. That is that who he is through us gets into flesh, gets into humanity. Not just our flesh, but the bodies around us. The incarnation is simply God in his nature coming into a body. That primary incarnation, that happened, that will never be replaced. That is who we worship God for. But the spirit of the incarnation, that is that the church has a call to become incarnational, is still a calling upon us. Are you understand what I mean? That we go into... Okay, see, Gwen just mentioned that we were, in the, we were in Eastern Europe. In Eastern Europe, if you want the definition of hell, that's Soviet bureaucracy. And I know that some of you don't understand that because the Soviet Union fell maybe before even some of you were born. But we lived in it. We lived where um, massive confusion, massive oppression, massive corruption... Uh, police, mafia, just all of that stuff. 
And in the natural, it is like, why in the world would we want to put ourselves into that situation? I have a nice, comfortable life living near Niagara Falls, Ontario. Okay? And, uh, you know, we, were, we lived kind of a middle-class lifestyle. We had a house. And so why give that up to go into a place of humanity that smells, that is corrupt, that is dangerous, that is shooting each other, that the mafia, that part of the Russian mafia is fighting this part of the Ukrainian mafia, and I have five kids, and why would I put my, my family and my children into that context? It's because the spirit of the incarnation was upon us. But that's not just for a quote-unquote missionary. All of us are called to where we live somehow work out the incarnation. Arriba. So the kingdom really is, ah, is incarnation because God loves, all, God loves humanity. He loves humanity. And even the wild Gentiles, as wild as that is, they're engrafted into the root of, of the purposes of God through, through uh, the Lord Jesus over the plan of Israel. And that's a whole other situation that uh, me and Carl are going to talk about later. But anyways... All right. One of the ways primarily that we become incarnational is in our status. Okay, now let me, let me just put this, explain this. As, as weak as these words are, let's just put it this way. The Lord Jesus as the eternal son in glory had a status. It was great status. It was a wonderful status. And he was lacking nothing in that status. The concept of the word Jehovah in itself means the, the, the God who is self-sufficient in himself. So in his, in that place, he, let's say he had a status, but he went and he reached out to us on our status. He reached out to our brokenness and to our poverty of spirit, our poverty of sin, our brokenness of life. And so let's put it this way. He left his status, for the lack of better terms, and came into our status. Now here's the parallel. Every one of us has a status. And you may think, well, you know, my status is I, it's, it's not doing too good right now. You know, and it's, I'm struggling in my status. I'm struggling, struggling on this level. No matter what status you are in, there's always someone who has more need than you do. And what the how we walk out the incarnation is that we find and go to those ones in whatever place they are in, and we, we bring the life of God to those. In a place, and to a place, or to a people that is more broken than us, more poor than us, they are less educated than us, they are in a weaker spot than us. That's what it means to be incarnational. That's one of the primary ways that the incarnation works out. One of the ways that, that Gwen and I do it, and we love it, and I don't know if Felipe and Anya are still here, I think they, they left, and others of you know about this, is that we found the poorest of the poor in Asia. 
And we understanding the incarnation, we have decided we are going to go to Christian children who have been persecuted all their lives, who are not allowed more than a sixth grade education so that they become literally slaves to the Buddhist culture in Burma, like literally slaves to the Buddhist culture in Burma. And we are going to give them an education and make them the head and not the tail. And we do that. That is a concept that we do because the spirit of the incarnation still works in us. There's only one primary incarnation, but that spirit of the incarnation still works in us. So obviously we're, we're talking about the poor and how the incarnation works out to helping the poor. Okay. The poor, the word poor is a very general word in English. In Hebrew, it's not. There's different words for the poor. And when we read the word poor in Proverbs or in the prophets, sometimes it's good to know what exactly kind of poor they're talking about. So very quickly, let me give you some of the, um, the Hebrew words for the poor. Number one, ebion, which means the beggarly poor. In that sense, it, it is uh, a poor man economically or legally distressed. Distressed. It occurs 61 times in uh, the old the Old Testament. In the prophetic writings, that is the prophets, it appears 17 times. Where it can mean general physical insecurity and homelessness, hunger and thirst, mis mistreatment by the rulers of society or other evildoers, or those not given justice in legal cases or economic exploitation. So there's that poor in, in the earth, ebion. That's one Hebrew word for poor. Then, then um, there's another word for poor, D-A-L, and I'm just obviously pronouncing it in English, which refers to peasant or serf. And it means um, someone who is poor, weak, lacking. It's occurred 48 times. And uh, it refers to uh, making sure that when we make legal decisions, that we don't take favoritism towards the rich as opposed to the poor. Okay, the, the, other, the other word poor, another word, third word is the word masor, which is also a Hebrew word. But this is an interesting one. Because this is the poor who have become poor because of laz laziness or self-indulgence, which is interesting. It has to do with impoverishment, lack, poverty, and it, it re refers to especially those who lack in material needs because of indulgences like in drunkenness or in other lifestyles which have caused them to become poor. So do you understand that, that the scriptures speak about those who are poor in the fact that someone else made them poor, but there's another poor where though we can make ourselves poor just by laziness, not working, uh, you know, massive amounts of alcohol, whatever it might be.
A fourth word is a miskin. It's referring to a very poor man. Number five is another word. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the word rus, which also refers to someone who is economically inferior. There's another word, ani, which refers to depressed in mind. That is, is, and this is almost referring to the handicapped. It is like there's a physical or a mental brokenness on that person. And the Lord wants us to reach out to that one in that physical or mental brokenness. And they've been, they've been victimized through deception. Uh, but there's also it's, there's the concept of, of, uh, of a physical or, or a mental brokenness. And then the words, another Hebrew word for the poor is the pious poor. It's the word enah. And it actually refers to a saintly poverty. And for whatever reason, you know, like the Nazarites, they took a Nazarite vow and, uh, the, and the, the Levites took a vow and there was a, uh, uh, a lifestyle that they lived because they wanted to, to serve the Lord. Um, and that's only the Old Testament. We're not going to put that in the New Testament. And so we see that the incarnation can really be connected a lot with ministering to the poor. So let's look at some, some uh, scriptures uh, of how that applies to us. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And I think the guys have that to put on the screen Jesus says, the anointing of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Most revivals start among the poor. Most revivals historically have started among the poor. The anointing is connected to the poor. Um, our movement is connected in roots to the vineyard movement under the leadership of John Wimber. And in the early days of, of Wimber's ministry back in the early eighties. And I was, that's when I was connected, uh, a man by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz came and saw the outpouring of the spirit of God in the vineyard. And he came up to Wimber and he gave him some advice. He says, you have some wonderful signs and wonders among you. You have some wonderful presence among you. My advice to you is to spend the power of God on helping the poor. And that got deeply into Wimber early on in the vineyard movement. And although we're not called vineyard anymore, that, that grace of the vineyard and that revival is still upon us. And I believe that as a PIH movement, God's hand will stay on us if we keep our commitment to helping the poor. In our day, the anointing has been identified with spectacular signs, eventual promise, prominence, um, kind of a celebration at times of, of the personality. And that's how the anointing has been spent. And the advice from Wimber is what this anointing we have, let's spend it on the poor. Not on ourselves. That's manifested in, and I'm just going to give you a number of points. When gleaning fields and vineyards 
and olive trees. In the Old Testament society, you could only glean or harvest them once. Like once you've gone over the field, you weren't allowed to go back to the barley field. Once you've gone through the olive trees and got the olives, you weren't allowed to go back. Once you've gone through the vineyard and got the grapes for your wine, you weren't allowed to go back. You're only allowed to go through the field once. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19 to 21 says, only glean or harvest your fields once so that you could, re so that you could leave some for the poor who would come and when the rest of the stuff ripens or there's a corner of the field that you missed or a tree that you just, you were arguing with your wife and you, you, you skipped that tree somehow. You're not allowed to go back to that tree. You're not allowed to go back to that, that vineyard. You can only go through the orchard or the field once. And that had to be put into society. That was put into society. Because that's the father's heart for the poor. But you notice that actually it was the, the, the poor had, themselves had to go and glean it. Okay, number two. The Old Testament prophets cried out for God's judgment for oppressing the poor. Amos 4.1 talks, the Lord rebuked, let's call it the fat cats. He did not like, there it is, hear, you, hear this word, you kind of bashan. That's, the word kind is the fat cows. That's the, that's the, on your screen is the King James Version. The fat cows. And the Lord cried out against them and said, don't you, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and I'm going to take vengeance upon you on behalf of the poor. Capitalism, I hate to get into this, but let's just say it, it's in my notes. Capitalism without compassion is as bad as atheistic communism. All right. Okay. So don't just, don't put me in any party. All right. Okay. Just. Whatever. But my grandfather, Nikolai Stepanovich Mordachenko, came from Ukraine. My mom's maiden name. And um, he lived in a village before the communist revolution, which was owned by the czar. And so historically, the czar owned the whole country. And he just wanted to go, he would tell stories. He just wanted to get firewood in the forest to warm himself. And uh, the czar soldiers chased him out of the forest just for the sake of trying to get some firewood. And it's no wonder that the communist revolution happened. And I'm not by any means defending the horrors of Lenin, the horrors of Stalin, the horrors of what communism has done in the last hundred years with um, over a hundred million people being killed. It's, 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 and we're still dealing with it in China and North Korea and in Vietnam and in other places, it's, it's, it's horror, horror, horror. But this humanity doesn't have a balance in itself without, without the spirit of God. And so God had to bring laws. And my grandfather got, got chased out of the forest. You know, if you go to Ukraine and Russia, you go to these little um, mud homes. And some of them aren't little. 
they were made out of clay and you know the uh, branches and things. And the thing that you notice about them is that they have really small windows. And when Gwen and I first went there in 92, like I said to my cousin who still lived there, why are the windows so small here? He says, well, yeah, well, this was built before the revolution, back when the czar would tax sunlight. And so the larger window that you have, the more taxes that were on you. Sunlight coming into your house. Just the, the demonic oppression upon the average person. And no wonder there was a revolution. Okay? So that, that, that stuff happens. And so the Old Testament cried out God's judgment for oppressing the poor. Number three, Jesus so identified with the poor that he said ministering to the poor is ministering unto him. Whatever you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. When did I see you naked? When did I see you hungry? When did I see you in prison and I visited you? When did I see you thirsty and I gave you a cup of water? Well, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So as we have done it unto the least of his brethren, we become incarnational in the same way that he become inc incarnational. We humble ourselves, and we may even go to a place, or to a people, or to a neighborhood, or to a people group, or to some social status, so to speak, or a global status where you're not comfortable. And that is where the incarnation is manifested. That is where the incarnation keeps on going on. So Gwen and I have investments. It's not in Mac. It's not in Google. It's not in um, Shopify, although that would have been a great investment. I'm not talking about Spotify. I'm talking about Shopify. This Canadian company that came out at 18 dollars per share and now it's 180. But I thank God that my kids have some of that. But anyways, <laughs> our investments are in as much as you've done unto least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so someday I'm going to get that back. Enter into the joy of the Lord. All right. So all right. Go going on. Number four about the poor in the incarnational spirit of ministering to the poor. The hardness or softness of our hearts is tested when confronted with the poor. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11. And I want to read this passage. And just as I'm turning there, keep this phrase in mind. Your hand is connected to your heart. That is... <clears throat> When we open our hand, we open our heart. When we close our hand, we close our heart. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, the Lord says this, If there is anyone among you, a, a poor man of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart 
nor shut your hand from your poor brother. Don't harden your heart or shut your hand. So if I shut my hand, sometimes that's hardening my heart. And I know that there's millions of opportunities to give in our world. And may the Lord, you know, direct you. But verse 18 says, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. So our hand and our hearts are connected. And that becomes incarnational. We had a situation one time in our, when we were pastoring in near Toronto before we actually went to Ukraine. Sunday evening service, this stranger shows up at the, at the church and he's asking me as the pastor, you know, is there any place I can stay for the night? And uh, so as the pastor, I make the announcement that night. This was back then when most churches still had Sunday night meetings. Hey, is anybody here able to take this stranger, you know, <laughs> into your home <laughs> for, for the night? And I can't blame anybody, but me being the spiritual guy and wanting to show off what a great pastor that I was, after the service, I came and said, okay, we'll take you to our house. And Gwen really had her eyebrows raised <laughs> when we took this guy in. But we took him home, gave him a meal, went to bed. That time we had, we had one child, right? Okay, we were, just, we were just pregnant. And uh, he slept in our living room or something. But that night, the voice of God audibly came to me. That night. <laughs> and he said, boom, boom. The audible voice of God came and quoted scripture to me. And he said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted on the earth. I will be exalted in the nations. The audible voice of God woke me up. Now, I don't know if that guy was an angel. It doesn't matter to me because I did as is unto the Lord. But that changed my whole spirit of my understanding about the end times. Because before then, the Antichrist was going to be really big. But now, it's like Jesus is really going to be exalted on the earth. Amen. And it, it changed my mentality as we, were, as we were giving out that day. And so, the hardness or the softness of our heart is tested by, by giving to the poor. I'd like you to go into uh, Psalm 41, and I'm just going to take six more minutes seriously and see how far we get through here. Psalm 41. Many of you have not thought about spiritual warfare in this, in this term. A number of years ago, the Lord showed me this connection in ministering to the poor that actually ministering to the poor is a spiritual weapon on our behalf. Now, our weapons are not carnal. They are mighty, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we never think that reaching out and ministering to the poor is actually an attack against the enemy 
for our benefit. Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor. And that one in Hebrew is the word helpless or powerless. It says, the Lord will deliver him in times of trouble. You want deliverance in a time of trouble? Find someone who is poor and help them. Now, I have used this in moments of my life where I am really facing, you know, sometimes the, ba the battles get really intense. We're still in a warfare here, folks. Arriba. And I'm thinking, man, I've prayed. I've fasted. It's all great. It's good. I've confessed. Done all those things. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a gift, something that would cost me even something, and I'm going to find the poor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to them. And I feel this, this victory coming to my circumstances often when I exercise that. Verse 3 says, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will, you will sustain him on his sickbed even. Okay, we're all on this adventure of learning how this works. Interesting thought. If you get sick, you have a hard time getting over it. Why don't you find a poor person and invest in them and see what happens? Fascinating. So, the Lord is the protector of poor children, especially. Psalm 72, verse 4. He will defend the afflicted among the people. And save the children of the needy. The Lord loves it especially when we reach out to children of the poor, the children of the needy. And I believe primarily those are, you know, talking about especially our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Children are helpless physically, educationally, development-wise, from the labor market. And uh, it's very easy for a child all over the world to get lost and to drop through the cracks. And when we take the effort to minister to the poor, we can become incarnational in that sense. Okay, I'm getting the hint again for the second service. All right. How many want to be apostolic? How many want an apostolic church? I'll try to finish with this. In, Acts, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. In church history, there's a couple of times when the apostles got together to decide a controversy that hit the early church. One of them was Acts 15, where they had to decide about, are the Gentiles going to live a Jewish lifestyle? That was one. In Galatians chapter 2, 
There's another one where they got together and, the, and they said, who's going to go to which people group? Who's going to go to the Gentiles? Who's going to go to the Jews? What is the apostolic grace on Peter? What's the apostolic grace on John? What's the apostolic grace on, on the apostle Paul? And, and they had to kind of figure that out among themselves through prayer so, they, so that they would be kind of running over each other, so to speak. And so they decided Peter's going to go to the Jews. Paul will go to the Gentiles. John had some place to go. Mark went to North Africa. So this was all going on in, in Galatians chapter 2. In that discussion, and they had disagreements. Don't think that just because they were apostolic prophetic leaders that they didn't have times of brushing against each other. But there is one point of agreement that none of them disagreed on. And it's found in Galatians chapter 2 verse 10. Where Paul says, they, that is Peter and John, desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing that we were eager to do. So in the King James, as you see it on your screen, it says forward to do it. It's kind of like an old word. But it, it just means eager. We were really, really anxious to do this. So what do you see out of this conversation, out of this council? You see that it was inherent in an apostolic grace that reaching out to the poor is part of being apostolic. Anything that purports to be apostolic and doesn't have this as a priority is really not apostolic according to New Testament. I don't care what title, I don't care what collar, I don't care how big the church is, if it's, if it's not focused somehow on reaching out incarnationally to the poor, it's not apostolic. So I want us as a movement to be an apostolic movement. I want this as a church to be an apostolic and incarnational church. And so the incarnation isn't just what happened with the eternal son becoming flesh in Bethlehem. But that we also go out to manifest the spirit of the incarnation to those who are broken, hurting, handicapped, mentally handicapped, impoverished, the nations of the world. How many know that, comparatively speaking, we live in paradise right here in North America? I know we have our rough spots, but we are a blessed people. We really are. Let's stand together. Father, I'm just praying now that that spirit of the incarnation would work its way into us. What you have done in us, you humbled yourself, you became obedient, and you came and smelt us, lived among us, dealt with our weakness, with our brokenness, and you loved us through it all. I'm praying that that same touch of the incarnation, the spirit of the incarnation, would be upon this congregation.
Be upon revival life. That there be a true apostolic heart for the poor. And I know you guys have that. I know you guys have that. I know you well enough. That's what you do. That's what you do. Apply this to each one of our lives, Lord, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Strengthen, strengthen, strengthen. Lord, I, bl I bless my brothers and sisters here. For some of us, we've had a long weekend, and I pray you just restore our bodies. <laughs> Give us refreshment this afternoon. But we ask you, Lord Jesus, as the one who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, that we also would in turn become obedient to the place where you call us individually and as a congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Pastor Carl. Hallelujah. Can you give it up for that, that, that really, really, really good word? Really, really good message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before you go anywhere, uh, if you're a first-time guest, we, my wife and I would love to meet you. We're going to be in the lobby if you want to sign up for the uh, Next Steps class, uh, uh, again, in the lobby. If you need prayer for anything, if you need healing in your body, if you felt like the Lord has something for you in this service, we have a ministry team that's going to be right up here at the front. If you really felt like that, what, what Dan called an apostolic call to the poor, you feel like that's, an, that's part of your call on life. Or you felt like there's something in you that needs to line up with that. I'm sure Dan has a couple minutes to pray for it. Just lay hands on some people up here at the front. Prayer team, you're coming forward now. Yeah. And, uh, or you don't know, like, you, you don't have to fake it. Like, I want the apostolic poor thing. If you just need one of them to pray for you, he'll, he'll pray for you, all right? Amen? So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your people. Father, I pray that this week we wouldn't let that, that word fall to the ground, but we would take it to a poor person, Father. We would, we, we, we would not let this just be another set of notes in our Bible. But this week, Lord, you would speak to us. We put money in our pocket and say, this goes to someone in need this week. Flesh on flesh. And I'll be Christ in the flesh to that person. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. In, G in Jesus' name. Come on forward if you want to receive prayer. If you need prayer for anything. And uh, I'd love to meet you in the lobby. Amen.